0: For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Lord our Father, we thank you that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets of old can now be welcomed by us, the Spirit of Jesus, as a friend. Teacher and guide. Amen. Please do be seated. My name is Jonathan Mason. I'm one of the lay readers here. And um, I have a question, um, a ser- little series of questions uh, to ask you, a little multiple choice uh, test. Uh, as with um, Simon's questions earlier, I'm not going to take the answers in, not going to be marked. Just something to, uh, help for us to think about. And um, if I can get my. Oops. Uh, just asking, answer, asking you to think about what you would do in one or two different situations. You come uh, down your road, lives an elderly gentleman who lives on his own and finds it difficult to get out and about. What would you do? Would you tell him that God loves him? Would you offer him a lift lift to the shops once a week? Would you lobby for improved public transport so that he and people like him can get out and about themselves? Situation number two. Uh, At the place where you work, you become aware that somebody is being bullied by one of their senior colleagues. Again, the question is, what would you do? Would you give each of them a copy of Mark's Gospel and hope that does them some good? Would you offer to mediate between the victim and the offender? Or would you agitate to get bullying and harassment outlawed in the company you work for? Situation number three you come across in the streets of Norwich um, an injured person by the roadside what would your action be? Invite her to church next Sunday? Carol service coming up? Would you apply first aid and then take her to the accident and Emergency Department? Or would you join a campaign to make the streets of Norwich safer? Now, I put the choices to you uh, rather crudely, very crudely indeed, and it probably isn't a question of one and not any of the others, But I just wanted us to begin this evening by thinking about what the difference might be between what we might call personal spirituality, me and my relationship with God, personal morality, my moral code, and what I do to exercise that, and what I want to to think of this evening as what we might call social justice. I want to suggest to you that that the way in which Christians, evangelical Christians, um, make a split between the spiritual and the political is artificial and unbiblical. Here's a quote from the late John Stott, often a reliable guide on such matters, who said this, the evangelical stereotype has been to spiritualize the gospel and then to deny its social implications. While the ecumenical, or we might call it the liberal stereotype, has been to politicize it and to deny its offer of salvation to sinners. Stott suggests, and I'm with him all the way on this, the polarization, the idea that we need to choose between the two, has been a disaster. Such a polarization, such a radical tearing apart of the personal, of the spiritual and the social dimensions of God's will for us has not always been so. If you have a Bible open, or if you'd like to reopen a Bible, Micah chapter 3. We are moving through the book of Micah, an Old Testament prophet, a uh, contemporary of a, the better-known prophet uh, prophet uh, Isaiah, and prophesied about 800 years before the coming of Christ, and we have reached chapter 3. I spoke uh, last Sunday evening particularly about uh, Um, Micah as as a prophet and what that prophetic ministry looked like uh, for him. But I want to look this evening uh, more at the content of his message. Both chapters 2 and chapter 3, in fact the whole book, are full of a passion about justice and a passion against injustice but it's particularly the idea of justice and social justice that I would like to pick out uh, and focus on from this chapter. So it's Micah chapter 3 page 932 in the church bibles. I'm jumping first of all as you can see to verse 8. We have just been speak, uh, singing about and to the Holy Spirit. And I wonder what what image crops up, first of all, in your mind when you think about the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Well, here's at least part of the image as far as Micah was concerned. As for me, he says, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit and with justice, And might. In the one breath, Micah speaks of being filled with God's Holy Spirit and his passion for justice. Jumping now to the beginning of our chapter, Micah begins by addressing people, and we'll analyze who they were in a few moments' time. By addressing them by saying, should you not know, that is to say, know, love and practice justice, you who hate good and love evil. And he deals with three groups of people in Judah, more generally, so the southern kingdom, um, and uh, Jerusalem uh, in particular. He says of the magistrates, these uh, would be people in Jerusalem appointed by the king uh, to execute uh, right judgments um, and, uh, and decide in, in civil cases and, and all that kind of thing. But Micah says, you don't. In fact, the illustration, the picture that Micah uses in verse 2, I can't picture for you. I've, that's why I've censored it. Because the picture he uses is of cannibalism. I'm not going to give you that before the 9 o'clock deadline. So I've censored my camelism, but that's the picture he uses. It is so terrible what these magistrates, these judges, these civil leaders are doing. I mean, you've heard of people who fleece other people, haven't you? (laughs) This is worse. They aren't just taking the fleece off them, they are taking the, 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 uh, the flesh off their very bones. That's just how corrupt, just how grabbing, just how oppressive these people are. And Micah immediately goes on to say what, the, what punishment is threatened for these evil magistrates. They will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them. Think about what it means for for you or I, or for a people, for a nation, to cry out for God, and for for God to have a reason to say, I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to listen. I'm going to hide my face. What a terrible judgment that is. Then... Micah turns from the magistrates to the prophets. I mean, he's one of them himself, but he's pretty much on his own. We even saw that uh, last Sunday evening. One of the things he says of the prophets is, well, if you feed them, they'll tell you what you want to hear. (laughs) If you don't feed them, they'll be your enemy. I mean, they're just slot machines. Stick in some food or some money, or some gifts, or something they want, and they'll tell you good things, nice things. They'll speak, as I think Jeremiah talks about, they'll speak peace, peace, even when there isn't any peace, just to keep you happy, if you keep them fed. Absolutely, thoroughly corrupt. There's their punishment. The sun will set for the prophets. They will cover their faces, cover their faces with shame, because there is no answer from God. The prophets will cover their their mouths with their hands in embarrassment because they have no word from God. Again, what a terrible punishment from people who are paid (laughs) to be servants of the living God, to have no message from him to pass on to others. And then he turns thirdly, in verses 9 to 12, to the priests. And amongst other things, he says in verses 9 to 11 they despise justice, they distort all that is right, they build Zion with bloodshed. bloodshed. So Jerusalem and its temple were being repaired and rebuilt, but with corrupt money, evil money, wicked money. They judge for a, bri- a bribe, they teach for a price. And actually turning back to the prophets, he says, they tell fortunes for money. Think of it. They tell fortunes for money. Once again, pay me, and I'll give you your fortune. And it'll be good. It'll be a good fortune. It'll be what you want to hear if you pay me enough money. And there is their threatened punishment. Verse 12, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Zion, another name for Jerusalem. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble a temple hill at uh, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets Jerusalem and its temple thought to be invulnerable inviolable surely god would protect his holy city his holy place no says micah be careful you could lose it all even the center of the worship of the most high god But with all of these warnings and all these threatenings, we need to note that even warnings can be positive. Because warnings can be heeded. And people can change from being wicked to being better. So there is hope. Now fast forward a century, 100 years, to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was doing a similar job to Micah. He was warning the people of his day that if they did not repent and turn back to God, bad things would happen. Of course, Jeremiah's people didn't want to hear that message. They hated it. They wanted to hear good things from Jeremiah, and so Jeremiah was imprisoned and his very life was in danger. Jeremiah was about to be killed. But then some of the elders stepped forward and said to the entire assembly of the people, Micah of Morasheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, he told all the people of Judah, This is what the Lord Almighty says. And then they quote from the last verse of Micah chapter 3 Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. A verbatim quote from the end of Micah chapter 3. And what happened? and they ask, did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah, put Micah to death? Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favor? And did not the Lord relent so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them? Do you see, those people knew that the people of Micah's day had heeded his warning, especially Hezekiah, who was not a bad king. He was a king who wanted to serve the Lord faithfully. So we know from Jeremiah that um, Micah's warnings, at least in part, were heeded. And the Lord averted at least some of the the judgment that he had threatened. And of course it saved Jeremiah's life a hundred years ago into the bargain. So there's Micah 's core message in this chapter, one that rails against injustice, although one that we've heard what, uh, that we've seen was heard and heeded, and the Lord re- relented and blessed the land. Now I want to jump forward a couple of thousands of years, not right up to date, but I want you to take uh, a look at a few um, Uh, items from the first half of the 19th century, so the 1800s. This period of time saw a number of notable movements and developments with regards to social justice. For example, the end of the exploitation of women and children in coal mines. That same period saw the reduction of factory hours from a a 16-a-day to a maximum of 10. And the transformation of the status of people with mental health problems from that of abused prisoners, that's a picture of um, Bedlam, to that of protected patients. Those years also saw the founding of the RSPCA. And also the development of trade unionism. You've perhaps heard of the Toll Puddle Martyrs. Um, most of them were Christians at the time, evangelical Christians, and the one who wasn't became <laughs> an evangelical Christian later in life, and they were led by a man called George Lovelace, a Methodist local preacher. Those years also saw the formation of the YMCA, founded in the year, you can see there, by a draper who, started, who began with a prayer and Bible study group you never quite know what a prayer and Bible study group might lead to. And that period also saw the promotion of public parks, garden allotments, workmen's institutions, public libraries, and night schools. And there's an illustration of Chapelfield Gardens, opened as a public park 1852. First half of the 19th century. What, in large measure, was behind all of this this progress. All these uh, developments and many others are linked more or less directly to a period of spiritual awakening that we call the Second Great Awakening, roughly 1800 to 1850. Um, A time of fervent and powerful and spirit-filled preaching of the Gospel of Salvation, And then a working out of the implications of that gospel in all of these uh, elements of social progress. Um, And time would not, uh, time forbids me to tell of William Wilberforce, Lord Shaftesbury, Charles Simeon, a clergyman in in Cambridge, deeply, deeply involved in the work of the gospel and in the work of social improvement, social, uh, social progress. Uh, Organisations such as the Church Pastoral Aid Society, the Church Mission Society, the Evangelical Alliance, the Bible Society, all have their roots in that period of time. And each of these organisations and many others continue to have influence for good in the world, in the nation and in the church today. So what about today? (laughs) Do we have a need for social justice? Well, we have fake products. Uh, Fake Britain is uh, into at least series seven, so there's plenty of examples of fakery going on in our country. We have plenty of internet scams. I guess I get one every week or two asking me to divulge either my bank details or my username and password. Uh, we read in the news of extortionate loans and the possibility of capping interest rates on, uh, on loans. We read too of concerns about massive pay inequalities between chief executives and ordinary workers and the differential has grown and not diminished in recent years. We have plenty of stories and incident, uh, instances of abuse of the, uh, of the vulnerable scarcely begin to talk about the sexual abuse of the vulnerable. Plenty of concerns about police corruption. The trustworthiness of our politicians. And global corruption. There's a map which shows that our little country, for all of our concerns about, that I've just itemized, is in most people's perception one of the better and less corrupt of the countries of the world. So is there a need for social justice in our own day? And what about you and me? Do we simply blame others? Oh, they're bad, they're wicked, they're corrupt. We can afford to buy a cheap pair of Levi's. Why? Because the girl making them in Cambodia is paid £15 a month... And has to share an 8 by 12 apartment with seven others. Are we implicit in much of this? I think we are. So we need to think about Micah's message and think about our own commitment to social justice. Let me start, as it were, at the top and work down. Uh, giving some suggestions to ways in which Christians today can and maybe should consider getting involved in the social implications of the gospel by engaging in acts of civil disobedience. Christians have uh, is not only Christians, but uh, many Christians have a long and honoured history of defying the law when the law itself is wicked. from, I'm looking at a few, a few faces there, Corrie ten Boom in the Second World War, Martin Luther King, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Second World War, and so on. How else, what else can we do? Boycotts, strikes, and other forms of industrial action we can engage in if we uh, are concerned about uh, social justice. By running for elective office and using our votes responsibly... To elect better representatives. By entering power structures such as public services, trade unions, management, and professional organisations to change things from within. And moving more and more into areas where you and I do have opportunities. By forming or joining pressure groups to affect legislation. By using the media to influence society for good. By engaging in social outreach and education. Just look at some of the uh, activities that people from this church engage in. Just around the, the, the hatch there in the meeting place. And it's wonderful what God is doing through Christians who uh, worship here at Holy Trinity. Is there more that some of us could and maybe should be doing? By preaching it, let's say social, the social implication of the gospel, and teaching it in our churches, and lastly, we can do this by living lives that bear witness to a better way, in our own quiet way, seeking under God, um, informed by His Word, empowered by His Spirit, to live lives that are just, and right, and true, and good even when it hurts us personally. Because Jesus, you see, linked the gospel with social justice. In, the first, in his first recorded sermon in his hometown of Nazareth, he took the scroll for the day, which is the prophecy of Isaiah, and quoted it and said, today these words have come true in your hearing. And the words he quoted were these. The spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we must not spiritualize all of that. There are spiritual meanings to that. There are the spiritually blind, but we have no right to say it doesn't affect the physically blind or the physically poor. Jesus didn't make such a distinction, Micah certainly didn't, nor, was, nor, must, nor must we. And Jesus pronounced as blessed those who hunger and thirst for, well, we normally read it as righteousness, and that wouldn't be wrong, for they will be satisfied. But you know, quite often in Scripture, when you read that rather holy word, righteousness, you could substitute the word justice, and still you'd have a pretty similar meaning. Try it with some of the verses that contain the word righteousness. Read it as justice. You would not be far out. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I don't know where your faith in Jesus Christ and his gospel will lead you this Christmas, but I do know this, that it will lead you in paths of truth and truth and justice. Because the handmaid of justice, somebody has said, is truth. The child of justice is freedom. The companion of justice is peace. Safety walks in its steps. Victory follows in its train. It's the brightest emanation from the gospel. It is an attribute of God. Micah was for justice. Jesus loves justice. May we follow the prophet and our Lord in loving and following justice in our day too. And and so pray and work for God to rule justly on earth just as he rules justly in heaven. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, once again, we thank you for these old and yet ever new words of your faithful prophet. If we could have something of Micah's passion for truth and passion for justice. And if we can declare and show and demonstrate and act out our love for the Lord Jesus in just actions ourselves then we will be pleased that we are walking in your ways and living under a smile and not under a frown. Lord, teach us your ways and may we know and love your ways of justice. Amen.